Good morning, Pablo. Good morning, Zach. It is uh, September 15th, 2022, and it's great to be here with you. Uh, great to have you around. I would love to have a conversation with you about some recent happenings in your life. And just to open up the conversation, can you tell me a little bit about the last month or so in your life and what's been happening? Yeah, it was August 15, one month ago exactly today, that uh, we got the astounding news that I had terminal cancer. Uh, grade four, the tumors have invaded my lungs and my liver and my kidneys. <laughs> so uh, this has been a tremendous blow for the family. It's been a it's been a tough one. At the same time, we have found the Lord faithful, and and right, I asked for anointing with oil, and God chose not to heal me immediately. He might still heal, heal me. But meanwhile, we are as a family, they have released me um, to die. And I look forward to that very, very, very much. So, yeah, that's uh, like today I, in this interview, I don't feel like I'm quite myself. I feel a little dizzy. I get tired quickly. And I don't have pain. That's a blessing the Lord has given me. That for this first month at least, a lot of discomfort but no pain. So the family came, we rallied together and had, we've had some beautiful times together. So. And tell me where we're sit seated right now just for everyone can know where, where <coughs> we are and what this place means to you. Yes, uh, we have this little house up here on the hill <clears throat> surrounded by nature, pines, my orchid collection and we're sitting here in the living room right now um, this we've lived here two years now okay. and really 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 enjoy this place I always say that we got a little closer to God because we're up on the hill Amen. well I wanted to just start off by asking you about your life's story and I ask this question to people sometimes, and I try to say, hey, if, if we were riding in a really long elevator to the top of a building and you were trying to communicate your story to someone in, you know, five to 15 minutes, how would you, how would you share your story with someone in that, in that elevator? <clears throat> yeah, well, one of the main things that As part of my life was my rebellious years. Raised uh, in a Christian home, minister's home, with the best of training, and and uh, there was love at home. Uh, but for some, well, natural reason, you know, Satan and I was the type, outgoing type of fella. <clears throat> kind of a natural leader and we got a gang together and oh my and I think of those years of rebellion I just really appreciate what the Lord has done for me because he saved me out of that <clears throat> and as hard as I went after sin <clears throat> conversion was dramatic the church was concerned there were five of us boys in a bad shape but um, the Lord saved us and ever since I just can't get over the love of Jesus from, for me that would be one core issue in my life that I that I know uh marked out the path then for the future. But that was uh, something I can never forget, how Lord the Lord forgave us young rebels and gave us new life in Christ. How, how old were you, when you, around how old were you <clears throat> when you came out of it? started really strange. I was 12 when we started. 
but I, it was uh, two bad years. Fourteen, ran away from home. Got police hauled me back and forced me to behave. And so I think I was baptized around fifteen. Baptized at fifteen. And then what happened after that? Well, just life just changed and. That same drive I had for sin, uh, I dedicated to serving God, and, and uh, my my desire to witness, to reach out to people, just you know, that's a natural response of a genuine conversion, <clears throat> and that would have been you know the rest of my life I dedicated to God and. And to his service, whatever he would want me to do. Mm-hmm. And so, at some point, I'm a, you were born in the U.S. Yes. And at some point, you've met some ladies and mm-hmm. you made some moves. You mm-hmm. learned some languages. Yeah. Tell tell me about the the trajectory <laughs> of, sort of where you've lived and and maybe including how you met your wife and, and mm-hmm. these kinds of things. The at first, we lived at a place called Arenal in Costa Rica, kind of a remote area, and there's where the rebellion was, and then there's where I was converted. And yes, there I, I met this charming young lady. <clears throat> first time I saw her, she was nine and I was ten. Yeah, that's just when we moved down from the States, and I just said under my breath, wow. That's the prettiest girl I've ever seen. <laughs> but not only that, her qualities all through the time of my rebellion, she was uh, very dedicated to God and just my opposite. And I admired her very, very much. And she probably didn't mean to, even though uh, I was a wild guy. Anyway, time went on. <clears throat> we moved to a place called La Merced. And um, we thought that, Uni thought at least, that probably never anything would come out of our friendship because we've moved to another area in in Costa Rica. Well, then later their family moved to another area close to where where we lived. So, uh, yeah, I just always admired her, her conscientiousness, her, her love for God her working habits and abilities. And, <clears throat> and of course, as a young man praying for my future, I would um, think a lot about her and and time went on and sure enough, we, we were able to learn to know each other and had a little bit of a rough dating experience. <clears throat> her father was not too excited about me because I was we were from a just a l- little bit more liberal church so I ended up asking her three times and waiting four years <laughs> but uh, at the end it worked out very beautifully he her father accepted our relationship our friendship <clears throat> Well, after the third time I asked her, he approved that we would uh, date. So then um, she and I both felt strongly that our marriage should be, should not be selfish, but we should reach out to, to people around us. And that's the only way we would be married if it would be to further that. And then um, on our marriage day, we probably did something different that no other couple did. We walked out on a song um, <clears throat> that has seems like it has nothing to do with wedding. <laughs> Let's see if I can remember the title. So send I you. Talks about suffering and going out and 
just wherever God sends us. The words are very profound. And we were offering ourselves to His service. And uh, little did we know that God was looking down and was took that song seriously. Our offer to give our hearts and His service. He took it seriously. And then that's where later, you know, Waslala came involved and all that. So you moved from Costa Rica to Waslala, <laughs> Nicaragua. <laughs> <coughs> yes. Uh, the church called us to go to Nicaragua uh, as a permanent move, sell out everything. So we did. Tim Shrocks and us and and that has been our last 27 years in Waslala, which is, has been a totally different life than what we lived before. But we have loved it and thrown our hearts into the work here, and it's been a blessing. You were telling me a little bit about what Waslala was like 27 years ago and how it wasn't your run-of-the-mill place to move. So to speak, especially yeah. for a gringuito like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell tell me about your decision to go into a hard place and. and well, the Lord kind of kept it a secret. Um, we came up, my wife and I, my wife and I once in an evangelistic team, <clears throat> and then later I came by my with others, and that she didn't come along. <clears throat> But we didn't realize until we'd already bought land and lived here that it was one of the most dangerous places in Nicaragua. Hmm. So um, we we knew we knew it's dangerous. We knew it's tough. It's pioneering, but uh, never dreamed the the reality of of a like a Western. Uh, city where there's no law and a lot of violence, a lot of stealing, and um, <clears throat> but we just say the Lord has been faithful through the whole whole journey. Amen. And you have you're an author and you have countless stories. I, in my perspective, you're an amazing storyteller. Some of my favorite stories of yours involve the way that Christ transformed other people mm-hmm. in the community. Is there, is there a certain story that you would, you would just, or a set of stories that you look upon and you say, that decision to come here was worth it? And, and just thinking back about the risk reward to the decision to come here and you're looking back upon it now, was it, was it worth it? Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> it's a hard, hard Yeah, question. there's so many stories. I, like each one of the brethren in our churches here, they have a story and how, how God got a hold of them and we were able to minister to their needs and now that I have cancer, they just flock around and thanking me and saying that I've been their spiritual father. <laughs> so that's a blessing to know that um, we've been able to to bless the people here. I told them the other day we were together and they were expressing themselves again. And, and I said, I want to tell you that it's not just one way. Uh, you have been such a blessing for me. I've learned so much from you, brethren. Um, life has been, um, you know, it's it's give and take, and I just really appreciate the brethren now the way they support me and 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 um, release me to die, prepare to take my place. I've I have um, released all my responsibilities. To younger shoulders and so many things have changed this last month. And those shoulders, just so I know who those are, those are local people yes, that were brought right. into the church who will now 
That's right. Bear the, the mantle of the church. Buenos dias, Pablo. Buenos dias, mi hermano. We live to talk another day. <laughs> That's right. So, I thought we could just start off again by, I think we should talk about Goliath, because I feel like it, would, it wouldn't be fair. You have, a, you have a boxer dog named Goliath. Yeah. And we were, we were walking about yesterday, and a stranger was wearing his boots. Tell us about the spiritual lesson you learned yesterday. Yeah, Kenny came in here telling me how that when he went on a walk with you guys, and we had loaned you boots, and you were coming past Goli's uh, spot there by his house, and he ran over to Clark and just started smelling Clark's uh, boots, and just I can just see him wagging his little knobby tail, you know, <laughs> and just desperate smelling and smelling these boots. And Kenny said, look, I had to pull him away. We couldn't get through. He was just desperate with those boots. So then um, Kenny pulled him back, I guess, until you could get through. And that was the story. But later when he came in here telling me about it, all of a sudden it just struck me. I said, Clark was wearing my boots. And since I've been laid up here and haven't gone out to say hi to Goli for probably two weeks, that guy was just desperate to uh, have some contact with me and to be close to me and smell me. And and, uh, and then just like that, it struck me. Uh, I want to be like that for Jesus. I want to have that longing, that desperation, that, that uh, yearning for a closeness with my master. And then Ken and I both broke down and cried. It was just too beautiful. Well, when, when I asked you what questions do you love to be asked, what you said was, I love to talk about Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and I love to talk about nature. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to ask you about, I feel like this story sort of springs into your love for nature. <laughs> and tell me about your love for nature and how you interact with it and just your, your experience with nature. Ever since I was little, there was a passion in me about for nature that that most people didn't have. There's I have a brother, my brother Mark from Costa Rica is also one that has been struck by it with that passion. And we get it from my dad and mom, but they both love, love nature. But uh, for us, it was just like something that we just really, really got into. <clears throat> and uh, it's always seems strange because so many people don't notice, you know, all these beautiful things that God made for us. But um, as time went on, uh, the thing that overwhelms me, is studied, I've studied nature quite a bit and um, written a couple books about it. And uh, what overwhelms me is just... Uh, immensity, vast uh, source of, of beauty and wisdom. And, and uh, well, the Bible says in Romans 1, you know, it, it shows us his deity, his power. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's just been part of my life. Wherever I go, I'd haul binoculars until, until the government took it away from me. <laughs> <laughs> which, which government was that? I was flying in from the States to uh, Nicaragua and the government here has gotten so careful with what people do that they, they don't even allow binoculars anymore. So I was really hard on them and I'd worked a long try time legally trying to get it back but uh, I finally gave up and then when I got the news about my cancer then I said, oh, okay. Now I understand. I don't need it. <laughs> in heaven, I don't think we'll be needing anything to put on our eyes to see better. So we were interviewing on, on a second day, so I'm, I'm just letting everyone know that we're... I'm sorry to 
going to do a little bit of backtrack mm-hmm. to ask you about your story. <laughs> Yesterday we we got to a point of your story where you you came to Westlala and now you planted a church here named Hermandad Cristiana and then now in in this season of your life that you you I'm going to use the term pass the torch mm-hmm. to to a man in the church and we that sprang off of stories of evangelism that mm-hmm. was it worth was it worth your risk to come here mm-hmm. and do all this and so i just want to revisit that moment for people doing church planning work when you and tim moved here can you can you talk a little bit about what your vision for church planning was and even for evangelism mm-hmm. what how do you view your role as church planner and evangelist and what advice would you would you sort of give to people mm-hmm. attempting similar work well one of the things that Tim and I both uh, had burning in our hearts was to become the people's friends and uh, we didn't expect converts you know right away but we became friends we worked with the people we were building our houses sometimes they'd work for us the neighbors you know and we just started to learn to know the people and amazingly um, the first year I think maybe we had one robbery. But after that, the second year was the hard year when the robberies came uh, left and right and we responded with non-resistance. And of course, this was new to the neighborhood. But after the robberies came, the converts came. Hmm. Meanwhile, we're preaching. We're um, giving out literature. Uh, but we didn't have a big program, you know, of evangelism. It's just we were there and they were learning to know us and, and gaining confidence. And then when they saw how we responded to the robbers, they just like, man, this can't be because they're not used to it. Nobody does that here. None of the churches practice this non-resistance. So I think what happened in their hearts, they started saying, you know what? That's got to be God. There's no other way that you can turn around and feed your robber and give him coffee. One night we gave, I served a group coffee three times. And every time they wanted a little bit stronger because they knew I had a long way to go after after they left. So um, <clears throat> that would have been, I say, our main uh, thrust was friendship. And then um, then they started coming in started converting and repenting from their sins and and that was that's that was a beautiful time i think i told you that before zach that uh after several years my son came to me one day i kept a register of the members and i also kept a register of the robberies and he said uh, dad have you noticed he said we have We've had 25 robberies, and we are 25 members. Wow! You know, a robbery per soul. That's not bad. (laughs) And then, some years later, when we moved out here, my son came again and said, Dad, I can't believe this. We've had 40 robberies. We have 40 members. So, yes, it was worth it. Absolutely. Although, looking back, we, my wife especially, she trembles and, with what all happened. But she was also involved in discipling the ladies. And she was excited about the people that were being baptized and joining the church. So, she would say it was worth it, although it was hard. So, what advice would you give to people who go through a hard spell in church efforts? We, we like to say it's not, it's not if the bump in the road will come, but it's when. It's when. What, do you have any, any words of encouragement for people <clears throat> facing similar situations? Every situation is different, but uh, one of the things that blessed us so much was as a family cling to the word. 
we would, um, my wife especially, when during the robberies, when when she was alone, she'd read Psalms 145 through Psalms 150. Mm -hmm. Those became like a real lifeline for her. And there was many nights that she used that. And we we write we'd write scriptures on a card and put them on. We had shutter windows. We put them so that nights they were outside. And we don't know how many times those guys came around and maybe read some of that, you know. <laughs> and then also uh, the clinging to the brethren. I remember many night saying to the family, you know what? We're going to be okay because we have each other. We have Jesus, we have each other, and we have the brethren. So during that time, I was in Salvador once for meetings and a lady called me aside, wanted to talk to him, and she said, she's had, they had a robbery. And um, it had been two years ago. And she wept and was so embarrassed because she couldn't get over it. She said, I can't get over it. And then as I questioned her out, I asked her, do you share it with your brethren? Like in prayer meeting, do you pour out to your brethren? No, I'm too ashamed. That they know that here it's two years and I'm still scared to death. And I said, sister, that's your mistake. You have to go. Those people will understand. They know what robberies are. I said, uh, pour out to your brethren and receive from them the, the blessing that that comes with the United Brotherhood to help support difficult times. And then, so you're, you're getting into some of the mistakes that you've seen people make, even within the church and as church planners. Are there any other sets of mistakes or even victories? Goal, you, you mentioned mistakes and goal setting as church planners that you think that you've meditated on in your life that you could share with others. Yeah, well... Um, one of the mistakes that I've seen is when heartaches come, jerk the missionary out, and take him home, pamper him, and give him a good time. Uh, now, I'm not saying there never is a time to leave, because we did move from from Kusuli to Waslala, here in town. And we were much safer in town, but we're still here. We're still working. We're still going out there. Uh, to the three different churches. That time it was three churches. We'd go out there and we were still totally involved. And for a long time, I don't know, we didn't think about that possibility. In our, in our, in at least us men especially, our decision was not to run. And uh, even if it meant death. And it was harder for our wives, but they supported us. Uh, and we had, I had people write me letters and tell me emails to just get out of there. I mean, you're putting your family in too, too much danger. But we always, we'd go to the committee. In Costa Rica, we had uh, two air radios. And uh, we'd ask, we'd, you know, what to, and then they'd say, look, if you can't handle it, <clears throat> if somebody's going to have a nervous breakdown, tell us. We, we want to we wanna make sure that doesn't happen. But we always said, look, we can make it. And we can make it. And then they'd come up. I remember one time, so beautiful, we had one of our bad robberies. And my parents were on the way up the next day. And then another time, we had a bad robbery. And her parents, on the uh, next couple of days, were coming up here and stayed with us. My old saintly dad-in-law is Chris Wartsatuber, and he, he punched a little man, and he said, Pablo, I want to be in a robber. If the robbers come, call me. I want to tell them about Jesus. That was so beautiful, that little old man. He, he just really wanted to be in a robbery. Then it didn't happen, of course. But uh, that spirit, that support, <clears throat> it was such a blessing. So yeah, I'm sure there are other mistakes too. 
and I'm sure we made mistakes. Uh, we were the kind that had to talk about it. Tim Schrock and his wife, they were just want to be quiet and just kind of, that's the way we're different, you know. But they were very patient because, oh, we'd talk about that robber for about a week. <laughs> <laughs> that helped us get it out of our system. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a journey. Wow. So I'd love to, I'd love to ask you just earlier this morning, we were talking about some of your daily routines and a typical day in the, in your life. Could you share a little bit about some of the routines you've used over the course of your life? And sure. Even some of the specific details about when you wake up and what you eat and your, your meditations and things like that. Yeah, it's it makes me weep because those days are gone. Right now, it's really hard for me to concentrate to pray or read the Bible. That's to be understood, I'm sure. But yeah, ever since I was a youngster, we'd eat milk. We had a dairy. And our time to get up was 3.30. And I did that for years. <clears throat> and it became a habit. Then um, when I was ordained at a little church in Pital, I just I kept that routine. I'd get up at 3.30 and make me a cup of coffee. And then between 4 and 5 was my hour for prayer. Now here in Waslala, in this house especially, that's connected with this little balcony up here. And that balcony to me is just such a precious precious spot where I would meet the Lord and um, spend my time in worship. Then in, at 5 o'clock, when I was well, <clears throat> I would make a round on the farm. I have about 35-acre farm. And I'd make the round <clears throat> with the machete and I had to do some reforestation and I'd do my exercises by macheteing and and of course, watching nature and seeing the birds and always carrying that little binoculars on my throat. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, that was another, that, that was a very enjoyable 40 minutes. And then I'd come back and read the Bible. That would be my next. Spend some time with the Word while Uni made breakfast. And then we'd have our breakfast together and then our family devotions. We'd sit around here and sing three songs and read a portion of scripture and pray. That was a daily pattern of my life. Then after devotions, if I didn't have some church work coming up or... Uh, things that I need to get done business-wise or whatever, then most mornings I'd, at 8.30 more or less, I'd, I'd go to my little corner over there and, and, um, and write. And then my, I'd fill my day with writing and other errands and things that needed to be done. And then evenings, <clears throat> especially lately, uh, well... I think I'm going to bed. <laughs> Especially the last two years, I've felt, I've felt very tired. And, um, just 7.30. Oh, Grandpa's gone. And sometimes my family would say, but hey, come on, let's stay around a little longer. We can do something, you know. And I said, you do something. That's fine. <laughs> Cause they're night coons. They stay up half the night, you know, and having a good time. Doesn't bother me. But uh, I go and I hit that sack. Whew. Enjoyed that. Just, you know, the last meditations in my heart for God as I lay there going to sleep. Go ahead. And <clears throat> I know I, last time I was here, I, I noticed that singing is definitely part of your, your family culture. Mm -hmm. Can you did you? I, I was recently at a an event where a, a speaker shared that singing can be a tool in the middle of 
part-times. Oh, yeah. Things like that. Oh, can, yeah. Can you tell me about the role that singing played in your life? And I'll do that. Yeah. Both of our families, her family and my family, were singing families. And so that's why it became, you know, from both sides. And <clears throat> singing has been a tremendous part of, of our spiritual experience. And then we use it as an evangelistic tool when there's a, when there's a watch, uh, when we visit neighbors. I mean, everybody knows that they're going to get some songs. It's interesting, the other day, we went down to see a lady that had been widowed. It was before I knew I had cancer. We just went down to visit and minister to their needs. She was still pretty lonely. And one of the girls said, uh, are you going to sing? Of course, we were. We said, yes. I want you to sing that song. And then she couldn't. But she, she finally figured out enough words that we knew what it was. And it was one of her family favorites. And she remembered it from other occasions. Uh, Jesus loves me. He really cares. There it slipped. But the chorus says, uh, Jesus loves me. Oh my. <clears throat> that brain's not working. But anyway, it just was remarkable to see that she knew one of our songs right. from the many different times we, have, we had uh, sang for them. And is there a song that I sometimes ask, do you have a heart song that just sort of is the, the instant song you think of or one of your... There's so many. I know it's hard. It's a hard question. In, uh, in Spanish and English, there's so many. The other day when we were at Selva Negra, they had this structure up front like a platform. And I said, this is symbolic, but Kenan and Jacinto picked me up and laid me on that altar. I said, I want you to sing, Con Que Pagaremos, which is one of my, would be one of my favorite Spanish ones. And then uh, there's so many others. Uh, when we get together, like my wife and I in Selva Negra, and want to sing something, oh my, there's just so many songs that have ministered to us, especially during the robberies. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I would really encourage people going through hard times. Sing, even if you don't have a voice that's so beautiful, but sing. And then you mentioned, I know, I know this, you mentioned you have a time of writing in your daily routine and you're, a, you're an author. How do you choose what to write about? And, and tell me about sort of your role as an author in your life here. <clears throat> it all started when I was young. I started writing diary. And I would fill a notebook, notebook every three months. And uh, as time went on, I got into writing for some publishers, articles, and then eventually some books. And, but when it really started was uh, <clears throat> after we lived here, uh, after the first three years, a man called Philip Cohen, which is not He's not with the plain church anymore, but he he came and wanted to write a book, basically taking my letters. Oh, I was writing what we call prayer support letters back then. So um, that was my first book. He and I compiled Angels Over Waslala. Mm -hmm. um, then later couple more years down down the road then Christy Wadsworth co-authored the second book which was Angels in the Night mm -hmm. and then from there on I went on my own and wrote The Long Road Home which was my my uh, life story when I was young and ever since uh, I've worked with two publishers COP and Cam and they know that I'm available and then if I have an idea, I go to them <clears throat> and we uh, work out a contract. And so it's been a book a year now for uh, that I was writing for a long time. And 
Would you have any words of advice for aspiring authors or even an encouragement to become authors? I know it's it's an interesting interesting question about yeah. about becoming authors or Yeah, well one thing uh to be an author you have to be humble. I was uh I started my writing career with Lamp and Light in Spanish doing Sunday school material. And we had a series of 156 lessons, Sunday school lessons that I was going to write. And I was, I was over 100 when I got a letter from the publishers. And they said, it's not your fault, but we have decided that our approach to working with scripture uh, is faulty. What we would do, what they would do is give me an outline a title and a whatever little else and and then we would go collect scriptures all over the Bible to support this idea. That's the way it used to be. Well they said that's really faulty. We need to choose a scripture, a portion of scripture in context and bounce off of that. So they said we want you to start over. <laughs> After a hundred had been completed. Lessons. But they told me right away that I can use a lot of the same materials, but they want me to choose a, a scripture and work solidly from a scripture. So, uh, what do you do? You're, you're on lesson a hundred and so, and you turn around, and now we start on lesson one. <laughs> but it was ended up being a real challenge because they were right. They really, really improved the credibility of their of their writing by by doing that. So it was a good experience. I'm not, but you know, it's not easy to uh, have a page come back from your from your work that's just so much read on it you can hardly read the rest. <laughs> And you, you generally encourage people to become authors if they have that, that burden. Absolutely, absolutely. And it takes work. You have to persist. And also, I think a very important thing is to choose your publishers right. Mm. And um, I really recommend both CLP and, and CAM. They're nice to work with. They're tough, they, you know, if I don't do things right. But yeah, I, I really encourage writing. I think it's something that's a tool that, uh, that can be used and could be used more among us. And then I was, I was talking with you about some of your, your life heroes, either ones that you've met mm -hmm. or ones that you've encountered in, mm -hmm. in reading and, and things like that. Can you tell me a little bit about your heroes, you particularly mentioned your, your father, but my father, open question. as far as reaching out and missions and all that, was uh, probably my biggest inspiration, apart from the Bible and Jesus. <clears throat> but then there were other men in my life that I, I was so glad I could remember then later who they were. There's a man called Daniel Bontrager from Indiana that worked in El Salvador for years. And his zeal, his preaching was just, just gripping. It just made you want to love Jesus and follow him and, and reach out. Then there was another old man. Uh, well, we had a bishop in Costa Rica for a while from the States, Lester Gingrich from Sarasota, Florida. He was the same way, very dynamic and just <clears throat> inspired me. Always, always was a blessing when he'd come down and do church work and have meetings. And, and then um, there's an old man. He was different. Joe Overholt. Twin to John Overholt that wrote the Christian hymnary that compiled the Christian hymnary. He was single. And he went and studied and got some kind of degree but when he'd come down, we always uh, set aside a week to have meetings. And he wasn't even a minister. 
But he'd walk up to that pulpit with a huge stack of books and he would let loose. He was such a blessing. Lived alone in an old cabin with a bunch of dogs, hound dogs. But he was another real inspiration in my life. And then, um, did I mention anybody else? Your dad, Bontrager, mm-hmm. and that man, and then mm-hmm. some young ministers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there's people out there that inspire us to go on and and they've marked the way ahead. That's a, a tremendous blessing. And you know, what we know, what we know, each of us in our minds, our brains, <coughs> is largely a compilation of wisdom from other people. And then I'd love to talk a little bit about a harder topic, but a, a necessary one. Talk a little bit about death, mm-hmm. given that this is your you're you're in a season kind of staring staring death in the face, so to speak. Um, and I, I asked you what you're thinking about these days, and death came up to the mm-hmm. top. Do you have anything to say about death and? For those, even for people who are dealing with it, or even for families who are, will enter into the grieving stage that's associated <laughs> with death. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on that. Well, I, I have something to say about, about what happened to me, but I, please don't think it's bragging. Okay. But when, when I got the news, August 15, and I was sitting in the office and the guy was telling us how bad my cancer is, and I was, choking to not cry because I was thinking of my wife just out in the lobby. Uh, That was a blow. You know, we had actually been preparing for it. I I sensed it. And we had been praying about it and talking about it, my wife and I. But still, reality is reality. Anyway, we got out of that building then and went and gave the news to our our spouses, Jacinto and I. <clears throat> then, of course, immediately there was this confronting death with how is my heart with God? Mm-hmm. And it was such a blessing that I could not think of anything that I needed to make right. <clears throat> so then uh, I started praying and soul searching and everything's clear. But it doesn't mean that I'm a perfect saint at all because I figured probably two weeks before I had said sorry to Ken in and uh, had to say sorry to somebody. You know, it's not that I didn't fail, but had everything uh, was washed in the blood. And I can honestly say, as I look at death, I don't have any fear. But it's just that, and this is what I would say to everybody. Guys, we have to live that way. Because what if my death would have been sudden? What if I had a heart attack? Well, in this case, praise the Lord. I was ready to go. But how many people push off something they, they should make right and, and don't, don't keep their lives in tune with Jesus. That's just my message. Brethren, stay on the way. And we do fail. Of course we do. I feel so unworthy of Jesus welcoming me home. But there is grace, and the Scripture is very clear in this, that we can keep our lives our slates clean. We can keep our slates clean. <clears throat> so that's a to me that's a tremendous blessing. As I face death, um, I don't know what is coming yet. You know, maybe there, maybe I will be afraid. Maybe I will struggle with having to die. But so far, it's just like my relationship with the Lord. It's just uh just right there, same. I uh 
you, you mentioned that you were able to give a farewell message to your church and and you've been spending a lot of time with your, your family and are, and I've even seen friends come and visit you mm -hmm. in these days and are there any words that you would <clears throat> you would want to leave with your, your your friends and loved ones and church maybe recorded that couldn't come here and see you even yeah. even to for them I'm sure they'll they'll revisit these at some day point in time any farewell messages beyond what you've already <laughs> already said here yeah well when we found out as a family we decided to immediately get together and and start you know experiencing the closeness the love we feel for each other expressing it so my children from Costa Rica came up and the children from Zapotecum came out and and we were together for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And that was just awesome. Mm -hmm. so we just uh, spent time singing and that's what we love to do most. And then uh, reading scripture and, and then doing things together. They took me to the river mm -hmm. and... Um, we stood at the shore of the river and just, my children just wept because all their life long, daddy would take them to the river. And um, enjoy nature. So uh, those are just some real highlights. My little grandchildren would come and sit in my lap and it's just so different. Everything is different now because you never know if it's the last time. So yeah, then the other thing is I have had people tell me that I cannot receive the visitors because I, I can't take it. I get so tired. I'm talking about neighbors and the brethren that want to stop in and they're supposed to know that a half hour is enough for a sick man, but they, they don't think of it and they stay here for two hours and before they left another group comes. And But then I, uh, actually my nurse told me Yesterday, she said, Pablo, I heard you still want to preach one more message in Kuzuli. I said, yes, I preached my farewell message in Waslala, and I did in Hikaral, and I want it one more time. And she says, I say, no, you're too far gone. I mean, she didn't use those words. Then I just, I said, uh, you know, God has given me some energy yet I don't know how long and I said I know it's true if I go preach to Kusuli on Sunday I'll, I'll be paying for it for a whole day Monday but I said I, I want to I want to give out my energy to the people I love and I'm glad to take that energy down there to Kusuli and do what I can and uh, suffer the consequences. I said, I want to I wanna share my time, my love for my family, for my church, and for my friends. And I've also asked the Lord to give me this ministry to, <clears throat> to witness to the people that come, not just high and by, but uh, tell them what's happening in my life and witness to them. So that's been a real blessing. And I, I, I'm just thinking, Kenny, that Sunday I want to start the message with Goli's story. <laughs> so Pablo, I've I've sat here talking to you a lot, and I asked you about your travels, and you've traveled to South America and Africa, and it's very interesting to me that when you you lit up most about a group of people called the Fulani. And an unreached people group. Tell me, tell me about them. Um, and then also, the reason I asked this question is because two weeks ago I gave a message and shared that you were diagnosed with cancer. I said, "Who will, who will step in?" And it's sort of a motivational question as well as sort of a, an acknowledgement of people who still need to imitate a type of life that you've lived. Yes, I went to Africa, Nigeria, to 
record stories of people who were faithful to death. And some survived and some died and that was the whole focus which was with uh, the Nigerian people. But as we traveled from place to place doing our interviews with these people that had had uh, some of them had been slaughtered for the gospel. Uh, I noticed this group of nomads that were crossing the road often or in the fields beside the road and <clears throat> I kept asking, who are these people? Oh, those are the Fulani. It's like a nomad tribe, like a gypsy tribe that they travel all over Africa and they have no real roots. They travel, uh, they travel with the rainy season north and then back south, uh, looking grass, looking for grass for their cattle, sheep, goats. And I just was impressed with them and just looked so much like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as they traveled around the dry places there. Um, <clears throat> and I just took interest in them. I went out and talked to the little boys and, um, they told me later I should be careful because the Fulani are pretty antagonistic. They can be. You don't want to just, you want to be careful. But we went to one of their villages and I met him many times on the road and I was just full of questions. But the thing that struck me was the sadness in their eyes. Worse than the Africans. The Africans are happy-go-lucky people. You are around the Africans and you're their friend immediately. And, and uh, But these people are very uh, timid. They stay in the background. Especially one one we met a lady and a girl that were coming out of a river bottom and visited with them a little bit there. But their eyes were so sad. And I just said, they need Jesus. And I started praying for somebody or some group or somebody go to reach these people. It's very hard people to reach. And I prayed and prayed. And at that time, there were some things happening here where it almost looked like um, I could be freer to do something. And no. It was during the time of the Tranquis, mm -hmm. we were afraid they'd chase us out. It got to the place where we feel the government was very close in chasing us out. And I told my wife, I said, honey, I'm going to pray that if we get chased out of Nicaragua, I want to go to Nigeria mm -hmm. and I want to somehow help reach those people. Well, time went on and, and I didn't pray as much about it. But then I forget who I asked. Or shared this burden with. They said, well, we know, I know of a guy that can give you information. There, there is a couple training for, to reach the Fulani. That mm. just blessed my heart. And the man was Bryant. Mm. What's his last name? Bryant Martin. Martin. Bryant Fulani in your phone. Yeah, <laughs> in, in my register in the, in the WhatsApp, I have him as Bryant Fulani. So I contacted him and he told me, yeah, there is actually a couple. That's um, training, and I think learning the language to reach out to them. And I, I kind of relaxed. I just said, "Oh, praise the Lord," and um, didn't pursue it, of course, because <clears throat> my job is here. But um, I haven't heard now since. But uh, that warms my heart to know that somebody is going to reach those people. So, would you have any? Any call to people considering a sold-out life to reach the lost? Yes, absolutely. That call is there every day, every hour. The question is, who is going to take up that burden and hear the call like Isaiah said, Hear my, send me. Mm -hmm. I would just really challenge people. People say, oh, it's too dangerous. Oh, it's just too, it's not, it's not something I can do. But uh, try it. Try it. 
you step out with the Lord and the church backing, make sure you have church backing and and uh, make sure your heart's humble and you're you're not going to go out there to show off and give your heart to the Lord and I look back and I can say it is tremendously rewarding. I wouldn't have wanted to live any other life than what I've lived. God has given me 64 years, good, happy years. Yeah, we've had our struggles and difficulties, but <clears throat> it has been tremendously a blessing. Amen. Pablo, I have I have no more questions written down for you, but the last one is, is there any anything else that you'd like to to say in at the end of at the end of the interview here. I guess I just come back to Goli. And even though for me now it's hard to concentrate to pray, concentrate to read the Bible, but my relationship with him is just as just as strong as ever. I just want to love him more. I just you know, if he heals me. I will serve him more. But at the same time, because of the last two years being so tired, I am also ready to rest. Mm. And I told my family that that's my preference, is to go home to rest and be with Jesus. But I don't want to be selfish. If God heals me, I will. Uh, I am willing to go ahead and serve him as much as I can. Amen. I'm going to close by reading a, a passage in Scripture that was it's actually shared on my mom's deathbed, but I, it's the the only passage I know how to share on a death on a near death experience. It was a it's from First Thessalonians two nineteen through twenty, and so Paul is he's talking to the Thessalonians about his labor for them, and then he he says this. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? Is it not indeed you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And so when you when you think about that, he's he's pointing right at the Thessalonians, he's pointing at the people he loved, and I I feel greatly that you have poured yourself into other people around you, and I am so confident that you'll have much to boast about. Um, in front of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Boast is a strong word, but you know what I yeah. That's a translation. But I just want to thank you for the time and send many amounts of prayer and love your way to you and your family from all over the world. That's right. Thank, thank you. you very much. Gracias, Pablo. Sí, señor. Yeah. So send I you to labor on me.
Sí. And I don't even feel that tired. No, I prayed about it. I, I just said, Lord, give me strength to do that if I can. Are there any, are any planned animals that are coming yeah, we coming to, to drink that tea? Yeah. There's a toucan coming later. <laughs> I, hope, I hope there's a toucan.